kids up through fifth grade, you are dismissed to your classes right now. Uh, sorry, baby Conrad, you're going to have to stay with us for the service, but up through fifth grade, you are uh, dismissed to your classes. Uh, for the rest of you, please turn with me and your Bibles to the book of Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 13 this morning. Psalm 13, thank you so much, worship team, for leading us uh, in worship, preparing our hearts to receive the word. Um, thank you so much. I also want to say as I start, uh, I say a, a lot of words up here, you might have noticed, uh, and sometimes I regret some of the words I say up here, and then sometimes I say something and then the Holy Spirit, or my wife, but she's not in here, she's in kids this morning, so this instance the Holy Spirit kind of says, you shouldn't have said that. So anyway, I want to, uh, earlier in announcements, I kind of like poked fun at our constitution as a church. As a church. I just want to say um, I'm very thankful for our constitution and for um, it represents uh, people who have gone before us who have put up safeguards and worked out our theology and it's really a very important document that I'm very thankful for as a pastor and so I just want to say I shouldn't have, uh, you know, the spirit just kind of, why'd you say that, Mike? So anyways, just want to confess that to you and apologize and ask for your forgiveness and uh, for also your forgiveness for all the other stupid things that I'm uh, going to say say. Uh, in the future, which surely will come. Um, anyways, like I said, we're in Psalm 13 this morning, really excited for our time. And here it's a psalm that helps us kind of uh, deal with some of the most difficult emotions uh, that we can feel in life. And so if you'll, hopefully you've turned there with me, I'm going to read it and then I'll pray. Um, so I'm going to read the psalm in its entirety. So look with me, Psalm 13, it says this, to the choir master, a psalm of David. David writes this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Let's pray. God, you have dealt bountifully with me with each one of us. You have not dealt with us like we deserved. You have instead given us your son and blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And so, Lord, we want to sing to you because of that, and yet there are times that we walk through really hard seasons, God. And so we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for um, what it shows us about what it means to follow you, and we just ask... Um, I ask if there's anyone walking through a really hard, dark season right now, Lord, that they would be encouraged by our time in this passage, and that you be glorified by all that I say. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I know uh, firsthand that there are many of you in this church who have done something incredibly brave this summer. You have done something that has tested the limits of your love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all the other fruits of the Spirit. Of course, I'm talking about those of you who have bravely taken a family road trip. Wow. Kudos to you. 
Some of you, I know, have this down to a science, right? You guys, you're like, okay, we're going to pack up the car at this time, so we're going to leave at 9 o'clock at night, and we're going to crush up some melatonin and stick it in your kids' juice boxes, right? And then you're like, okay, we're going to head on the road and drive through the night, and everyone will sleep, and then when we get there, uh, everyone will wake up, and it'll be the, a pleasant, as pleasant as possible for a road trip. That's some of you. Others of you don't quite have it down to that much of a science, and you experience a more painful road trip, or if you have junior high boys, a get more gassy road trip. <laughs> and whenever I can get Jenna to laugh, I, I just know this is, a, this is a good day. So There are always the classic things that you hear from the back seat in a road trip, right? Whether you took one this summer or not. My mom, he's touching me. Dad, she's on my side, right? You hear these kinds of things all the time. And no matter how many times you try to trick them and, okay, guys, let's play the quiet game. Who can stay quiet the longest, right? That relief is fleeting at best. And you're always guaranteed to hear these three words at some point. Sometimes it's even five minutes into a 10-hour road trip. What are the three words you're, you hear? How, yeah, are we there yet? Or how much longer? Mom, how much longer until we get there? We all hit that point, right? That's not even just kids. That's all of us, right? Let's be honest. That's all of us. At that point, that seatbelt's feeling tight, your legs are feeling cramped, your back is uncomfortable, everyone in the car is starting to drive you crazy, you're tired, and you're just starting to think like these crazy thoughts come into your mind like, I'm going to be in this car for the rest of my life. I can't even fathom a time when I'm not in this car. Like, this is all I can even think about. This road trip is never going to end, right? Who's experienced a road trip like that? Certainly, I think every single hand should be raised unless you only fly places, and then that brings its own, own challenges. But Feels like that, right? Life feels kind of like that too sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes in life, it feels like God has forgotten us. Sometimes in life, it feels like nobody cares what you're going through. Sometimes in life, you have nothing in you but sadness and anxiousness and worry and fear. Sometimes in life, you're at the other end of exhaustion. Like, you're, you've started exhaustion, you're through it, and now you're just like, you're at the end of it. <laughs> Can't even sleep, though, because you're worried about situation at work or in your family. Or maybe, I know some of you dealing with chronic illness or pain, you don't even remember, like, the last time you just felt remotely okay. Or maybe you've walked through a time where a spouse has gone through that. Or maybe unemployment drags on and on. Maybe you're trying to make the best decisions for your aging parents. Or maybe your kids keep making unwise decisions and you just constantly feel sick about it. Whatever it is, there are times in life certainly when we get to this point where we just say, God, how much longer? I can't handle it much longer. I can't do it anymore, God. This is it. I'm done. Like, I just can't go. I can't even imagine going on. I'm so thankful for the Psalms. I'm so thankful for the Psalms because God has given us the Psalms to help us work through every single possible human emotion, right? So last week in Psalm 8, we were at like the highest highs of worshiping God for who he is. And now we're in Psalm 13, and David is saying, how much longer, God? And so our psalm this morning is going to teach us how to respond when life starts to feel like that nightmare road trip that never ends. And we're, 
We're going to see two things in this psalm this morning. First, we're going to see what does it actually feel like to be there, right? What does it feel like to be just at the end of yourself, like, I can't keep going, God, this is it. When all hope seems lost, when all you can muster to say is how much longer. We're going to see David shows us what does it feel like to be there. But then we're not going to just stop there because David also at the end of the psalm gives us a little bit of a road map, pun intended, on the way out to see what do we do about it. What do we do about it? So that's what we're going to see. What does it feel like? And then what do we do about it? So what does it feel like to be in a, this deep, dark valley in life? David tells us here as we see him crying out to God. Look with me again at verses 1 to 3. Notice what you see repeating. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? What did we see him repeat four times there? How long? Yeah. How long? They're kind of directed at different people, though, you might notice. The first two are directed to God. Directed to God. What does he ask God? How long will you forget me? And how long will you hide your face from me? Now, in our How to Teach the Bible class, which we're coming up to the end of, many of you are taking that, we've been talking a lot about the context, finding the context of the passage, how knowing the context, meaning knowing what's going on around the passage, helps us understand the meaning of it. The interesting thing about Psalm 13 is that we have zero context of what's going on. We have no idea the situation that is going on in David's life that he makes him write these words. Now, you might remember in Psalm 3, I believe, it was written about this very specific situation when David was running away from his son Absalom who was trying to kill him. But we have no clue what's going on here. We don't know what caused David to write these words, which in a strange way, I don't say this very often about a passage, but in a strange way, almost not having the context here almost kind of helps us because we all know this feeling, right? This feeling applies to so many different situations. You can all think of a time when you've asked that question, God, why aren't you answering me? God, have you forgotten me? Some of you are maybe in a time like that right now. Now, we should probably stop and answer the obvious question, which is, is David right here? Has, has God actually forgotten David? Now, that's the question. Has God forgotten David? You can answer this. Yes or no? Good job, everybody. And the answer is no. He has not forgotten David. Of course not. I like this. If you want to turn in your Bibles quickly, you can see in Isaiah 49, 15 to 16, it illustrates this with a beautiful picture, Isaiah chapter 49. I'll read it to you. God is talking about his chosen people, Israel, and he says this in verses 15 to 16, answering the question, because Israel's starting to wonder, has God forgotten us because of what they're walking through? That's what it says. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. I love that. Just give this illustration. Is a nursing mother just going to all of a sudden forget about the child? No, right? Oh, whoops, I just forgot. (laughs) Of course not. Yet, it says here, even if that would happen, that's more likely to happen than God forgetting you. 
God has not forgotten you. God will not forget you. He says, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. He doesn't forget. I love that. That's a beautiful truth. It's something that you should cling to, especially if you're in a season like this. But it doesn't, that truth doesn't necessarily change the fact of the feeling, right? Sometimes it feels like God has indeed forgotten. I heard one pastor describe God's care for us as kind of like God cares for us like the sun shines in the sky. The sun is always there, right? It's always shining on us. And you can know God, God's care for you is also always there. But sometimes you see the sun bright, right? When it's hot out, 90 degrees, and the sun's blazing, you can't forget it, right? Sometimes it's a cloudy day like we had yesterday, right? Sometimes it's winter, <laughs> You know, weeks and weeks and months, maybe, where you have not yet seen the sun. Sometimes you wonder, like I do, come February, if I'm ever going to see the sun again. Sometimes it feels that way with God's care for us. So even if you know in your head, just like I know in my head that the sun is still there, even when the clouds are blocking it, even if you know in your head that God is there and that he cares for you, there are times in life when it simply can feel like God has forgotten you. Like God has forgotten you, like he's hiding your face from you. I just want to say, it, it's, it's okay to feel that way sometimes, church. It is. It is. It's okay to admit it. It's okay to admit it to God. It's okay to admit it to other people. God is big enough to handle your emotions. What did Jesus say when he was hanging on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now there he's quoting Psalm 22 in part to show that he's fulfilling the scripture, but certainly he's feeling it in that moment too. And if it's okay for Jesus to voice that, it's okay for you as well. Sometimes you feel like God has forgotten you. And that's not all. David goes on, verse 2, How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? I like some other translations of this. I don't know what your translation is, but the, the CSB, Christian Standard Bible, says, How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? New Living Translation says, How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? What he's saying is this. We see this picture. So he cries out to God, and God is not answering. He's forgotten David's view. And so he says, okay, God, if you're not going to answer me, all I can do is like turn inward for counsel. If I'm not feeling better turning to you, all I can do is turn inward to my heart. And he says, I've done that, and the results aren't pretty. It doesn't look good in there. It doesn't feel good. Sometimes it feels not only like God's forgotten you, but like there's just nothing in your heart but anxiousness and turmoil. He says, I have sorrow in my heart, agony in my mind, and anguish in my soul. Can anybody relate to that sometimes? And one of the hardest things to do when you're in a place like this is to recognize it, right? To even know that you are not a trusted counselor. Sometimes you are not a trusted counselor to your soul. Because the things that you might know in your head don't feel true. And so when you turn inward, you turn to those feelings, and those feelings are betraying you. Sometimes your thoughts about yourself aren't trustworthy. 
I've certainly had times where I've been in this place, just like David is here. And for me, what I've had to do is either turn to my wife or a good friend. There's just somebody, you need to have somebody who's going to remind you of the truth. So if you're prone to getting to these places like this, you need somebody who knows about it. And you can call and say, look, I know what's true, but I need you to remind me of what is true. I know my heart's lying to me right now, but I still need to hear it from somebody else. Emily's really good at this. She can just recognize when I'm just kind of starting to spin a little bit. She'll say, Mike, I know that feels like X is true, but Y is true, okay? <laughs> the gospel is still true. You need someone, whether it's a spouse or a good friend or a parent or a mentor or a counselor or somebody, when you're in a place like this, you can just call and say, hey... <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm in a tough place right now. I just need you, again, you just speak truth to me. And hearing those things can then draw you out of being in that inward place where your heart is just only full of in, uh, anxiety and turmoil. Sometimes you feel like your prayers are just bouncing off the walls. When you look inward to try and figure out what you're feeling that way, all you can come back with is more anxiousness and turmoil. And then that's not it. Like, that's a pretty bleak picture, Right? That's not it. David goes on, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So it's this how long is taking a third step. How long, God, are you going to forget me? How long am I going to feel like this in my soul? And how long is my enemy going to be exalted over me? It's not great for David. Now, David here is probably talking about a literal enemy, right? A literal enemy of war. Somebody who's actually literally trying to kill him. Most of us in this room don't have literal human enemies trying to kill you, right? Unless like Jason Bourne 2.0 is in the congregation, and I don't know it. And if I don't know it, it's probably because if you told me, you'd have to kill me. So I'm glad I don't know it. But probably that's not most of you, right? We probably don't most of us have some sort of an enemy, human physical enemy who's trying to kill you. But we all do have an enemy, do we not? of a spiritual enemy. And sometimes it certainly feels like that enemy is winning. It feels like the enemy is winning. Ephesians 6, 12 to 13 reminds us, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us that our enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion waiting for someone to devour. Whew. Whenever we get to passages like this in Scripture about spiritual battles, I just always feel the need to remind us that we're in one. The church, we're in one. You're in a spiritual battle. Right now, you have an enemy who wants to devour you. He's on the prowl. And I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm saying that so that you will arm yourself. You feel like the enemy is exalted over you right now, like David said. It might be because you are not arming yourself with the armor of God, the blessed breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the sword of the spirit, the helmet of salvation. You're in a battle, church. The good news is the enemy is not going to win in the end. Jesus will be victorious, but sometimes it feels like God doesn't care even though you know he does. Sometimes it feels like you're a sitting duck, that you are going to be devoured, and that you don't stand a chance. So what do we do about it, church? I'm so thankful that David doesn't just leave us in this place, right? 
if that was the end of the psalm, it would be a pretty depressing psalm, but he doesn't leave us there. So what do we do about it? How do we handle it? What's our roadmap out when we get to this place of feeling like you're never going to see God's goodness again? Like no matter what you do or say or think or pray, like I just feel like my heart is just going to always feel like this anxiety and turmoil. When it feels like the enemy is about to destroy you, what do we do? What do we do? Well, the first thing, I just want to be very clear that there aren't easy answers for this, right? There are no, like, three easy steps to defeat depression. I wish I could just be, like, a doctor and just say, hey, read this verse every day for a week and you'll be healed. And if, if that doesn't work, come back and I'll give you a second verse to read, right? It doesn't work like that. There are some seasons that are just heavy and difficult, and they last a long time. And the only way out is through I have a great book here that's helped uh, me certainly through some of these seasons. just called When the Darkness Will Not Lift. Uh, it's by John Piper. I'm happy to loan out my copy that I have here this morning. If you come up to me after the service, it's real short. I like short books too. That's my a big plus. But it's, just, it's really good. It helps you walk through seasons like that. And then there's also times you might need to talk to a professional for counseling who might even prescribe medicine to help deal with some of these physical effects of depression, even as you work through emotional and spiritual issues. And that can certainly be a blessing sometimes. But regardless, this passage should encourage us this morning simply by reminding us that these periods of darkness are a normal part of the Christian life. And then David does give us a roadmap of how to get out. Now, we don't know. It's not like Siri who tells us to the minute uh, when we're going to get to our destination. We don't know how long it will take. But we aren't left without a map. And so even as you find yourself in the back seat crying out, how much longer, David gives us an example of three things we can do. And the first thing we can do is to, to cry out to God and persevere in prayer. Persevere in prayer. Verse 3, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. So even though David felt like God had forgotten him, he said, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? He then goes right back to the Lord in prayer and says, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Consider me. Another way to translate this is, look at me. What he's, trying, he's trying to get God's attention. God, look, look here. Look at my situation. Look what's going on. Some of you have toddlers, and you're in like the three to four-year-old stage, which is like the prime stage for, um, for uh, hearing, look at me all the time, right? We walk through this. We're thankfully a little bit on the other side of it now, uh, somewhat. So there is hope if you're stuck in that, in that uh, current phase right now, parents. But probably for a while, probably 75% of the content of Owen's speech was, Mama, look. Look, Mama. Mama. Mama, look. Look. Daddy. Daddy, look. Look. Dad. Dad, look, look. And he wouldn't stop, right? Until finally you would say, okay, what is it, buddy? And you do was, I don't know, jump. <laughs> and then, dad, look, look, dad. Go right back to it. And as obnoxious as that was, you have to admire the persistence. Why was he persistent? Because he knew that eventually he could wear us down, right? This is different than how we approach God. You're not trying to wear down God, okay? God is not distracted with a text on his phone as you are crying out to him, and that's what, not why he's answering. So it's different, but we still need to approach God with that same kind of persistence because we see David modeling that here. God, look at me. Hear me, God. Answer me. Here I am. 
Please, I need you, God. There's a faith that's demonstrated in that persistence, is there not? Your faith is revealed in that, in the fact that even though you can't see the sun behind the clouds, you're still crying out. Say, God, show me you care. Be near to me, God. I need you. Consider me. Our pain should lead us to persevere in our prayer. All those start with peace, so you can remind, remember that, right? Our pain should lead us to persevere in our prayer. How often am I going through a difficult time like this, and so I just kind of maybe throw up a quick prayer to the Lord and then don't pray anymore? We're called to be a people who persevere in prayer. God, answer me. Look at me, God. See me here right now. Then he says, light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death, which basically means give me strength because I feel like I'm going to die. I love how honest David is being with God here, and yet he's persevering in prayer. We're called to do the same. Here's the second thing we can do. We can remember his faithfulness. Remember his faithfulness. Verse 5, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. The word for steadfast love here is hesed, which is a word that stands for the love that God demonstrates to us through his covenant. It's a word that reminds us that God is always faithful. It's his steadfast love. And he says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. Isn't that interesting? He's not saying, I'm going to keep trusting in your steadfast love, although he is. He says, I have trusted. Why does he say that? He's like pointing to a specific moment in the past. Saying, God, I tr- there I saw your faithfulness. There I saw, beyond the shadow of a doubt, you at work. And I know you cared for me, and I know you loved me in that moment. I remember it. I saw it. And then here's the jump that we make. We say, I remember your faithfulness there, and I believe that you are the unchanging God. Nothing has changed from there to here. Now, sometimes the enemy wants to whisper in your ear and say, well, yeah, God loved you back then, but you've really blown it since then. And that's lies, okay? It's part of the spiritual battle that we're in. We remember his faithfulness here at this point, right, at this moment, so we can cling to that when we're here and it feels like the darkness will not lift. I was super convicted of this this week because I used to do a really good job of keeping an answered prayer journal. One of the things I tell people sometimes is ministry is filled with really high highs and really low lows. And sometimes there's just like really hard days and, and hard weeks. And in those moments, I, like I said, I used to do a good job of, I would write down whenever God would answer a prayer, big prayer, small prayer, didn't matter. I'd write it down. And uh, then I could go back and I can go back and look through those things and see um, God was faithful there. And the gospel is still true. Nothing's changed since then. So he will be faithful here. And so my conviction is I need to do a better job of doing this again. And if you don't keep record of these things, I would encourage you to do that as well. Remember his faithfulness. Write it down. Because when you turn inward and your heart is full of anxiety and turmoil, you won't remember those things. So put a marker in the sand a stake in the ground and say, I remember your faithfulness, God, and I know it never changes. We need to remember his faithfulness. 
Finally, you need to worship him even when you don't feel like it. Isn't it interesting how he ends this psalm? I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. What a turn, right, from verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And then, that's verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, four, four verses. Verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. It almost feels like it's from a different psalm, right? It's not. It's David speaking to his soul, saying, I will sing, even though I don't feel like it right now, even though it feels like God has forgotten me, I will sing to the Lord. And sometimes it's the last thing you feel like doing. We need to do it. You just need to do something you don't feel like doing. We need to draw our hearts upward to remember who he is. Sometimes in the darkness, you just have to sing. And so I thought rather than kind of preach too much on this final point, I just thought we'd put it in action right now. We're about to sing the hymn, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. And it contains this line, When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. Sometimes darkness veils what we can see of him. And so what do we do in that moment when it seems to hide his face from us? We rest on what, church? Say it. Okay, we can do better than that. What do we rest on, church? His unchanging grace. It never changes. It was true in the past, and it's true today. So let's stand, and we're going to sing this hymn in response, and then we're going to sing the goodness of God. Be reminded that all your life, he has been faithful to you. Sometimes it doesn't feel like a church, but he is always there. Praise the Lord for that. So let's go ahead now, and let's sing together.